Welcome to the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Have you ever wondered how healthcare works? Would you like to take a look behind the curtain with industry experts, healthcare executives, and policymakers to demystify the topics of the day and the ongoing evolution of healthcare? We invite you to come on a journey to learn about the ecosystem that keeps you and your family healthy. This podcast is sponsored by the Michigan Association of Health Plans, representing 10 health insurers here in the state of Michigan and delivering care to 3.1 million Michiganders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Uh, This week we have on Jan Yu from Priority Health. Jan, thank you for joining. It's a pleasure to be here, Jeff. Well, thank you. So you are the Senior Vice President and Chief Actuary for Priority Health. And one of the reasons I thought it was worth inviting you on here is actuaries do a lot in healthcare. They are they play a very integral role in the building of pricing and benefits and reviewing of data. And these are all very important things for healthcare and for the delivery of services. And um, really going to enjoy having you on and having you talk about the process of being an actuary. But if you wouldn't mind, you know, first just introduce yourself, maybe give us a, a quick background of, of how you got to where you are today. I'd be happy to. Thank you for asking that. Um, my name is Jian Yu, and by the name, you probably can tell that um, I uh, am from originally from China. And I'm an FSA and MAAA, lots of acronyms. Uh, these stand for Fellow of the Society of Actuaries and Member of the Academy, American Academy of Actuaries. These are uh, professional designations that are required uh, for actuaries to certify certain um, you know, pricing documents as well as uh, valuation documents because of the training and uh, professional standards that are required. Um, so with that, uh, you know, letters um, explained, I do want to just um, tell you a little bit more about myself and how I became an actuary. So I have always loved math and playing with numbers. But after graduating from college, um, very quickly, I realized that I wanted a career uh, where I can apply the, the math skills to solve practical problems rather than doing academic research. So a family friend, int- a friend introduced me to actuarial science, and um, basically everything started from there. I've been an actuary uh, practicing mostly in the healthcare uh, area for 25 years. And um, prior to coming to Priority Health, I've worked in many different capacities, uh, including consulting with large employer groups, um, government agencies, and leading actuarial uh, services and analytics teams for health plans, and also helping healthcare providers um, identify potential opportunities to manage care. And all those experiences really um, were very, very, very valuable for my current role. And I almost felt like my prior jobs really were training programs for me uh, to take on my current role. So about 10 years ago, I joined Priority Health as the chief actuary and now also serve as the senior vice president of advanced analytics. As you know, Priority Health is the second largest health plan in Michigan. 
Actually, we just surpassed a million members, um, so it's very exciting time. And um, we serve members in all markets, including Medicare, Medicaid, commercial group, and individual. And that just makes my job very, very fun and interesting because um, a lot of the the uh, studies that we do, um, supported by data analytics are very critical to help inform business decisions. And um, we'll talk a little bit later, uh, if there's time, about all the different characteristics that we have to consider um, because of the different uh, markets. But all in all, um, it just, the 25 years um, that I have you know, been practicing as an actuary has been so much fun. And I would recommend anyone that has an, uh, a strong interest in math and um, critical thinking to check out actuarial science as a career. <laughs> so you're the person where in high school, when I asked in my math classes, how will I ever use this? You're that person is what you're telling me. <laughs> uh, hopefully that's the case. <laughs> what, what was interesting also is what I found was it's really not the very, very difficult math um, that you need to be uh, good at. It's more the analytical mind and critical thinking. Um, typically, you know, you you develop um, when you go through school um, to you know learn about math or statistics. Um, I had my master's in business which really was a good combination um, from the application perspective. So I know I can talk to you all day about um, the career because I'm just so passionate about, um, you know, how rewarding it has been. And the, the other point I think I would raise is at some point, we're probably going to do an episode um, all about the acronyms in healthcare. You mentioned MAA and FAAA. And, you know, I, I think we just need to do like a, a cheat sheet, you know, just of all the different terms that come up in, in the healthcare world and, and the acronyms and what they mean. Yeah, that may be a book rather than a cheat sheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, yeah. War, I'll end up writing War and Peace by the end of it. It'll be quite a read. Um, so, the, the interesting thing about actuaries and in, in my time when I was on the payer side and the benefit side, you know, it became one of these statements where, well, this is what the actuary said. And mm-hmm. it kind of went unquestioned. It was, well, that's that's the truth. You know, it's what the actuary said. You know, you're looking at data and ultimately you're trying to predict health and financial behavior on a very large scale. Where do you start? What's what's your first step to try to to try to do this? Yeah, actually, you know, I, I've shared a joke before um, about what what actuaries do. And um, I'll, I'll share with you today, too. Um, hopefully you haven't heard it. If uh, I saw a chief, act, a chief actuary riding the car with the CEO and CFO, and the CEO would be behind the wheel, foot on the gas, Squinting through to see, um, squinting to see through really a dust-covered windshield, so it's a little bit hard to see. And the CFO's foot is on the brake, and the chief actuary is looking out the back window, telling them where to go. 
<laughs> that's well i mean my, my position on actuaries of of you guys always being in charge is, has changed a little bit with merely that joke <laughs> but um I, I i still think that that's it's a it's it's a very accurate statement right you're 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 uh, sitting there amongst the business owners and you're trying to help them make decisions with the best data possible right yeah well it meant to be a joke of course and it might be how actuaries are perceived by um many people and maybe that's what actuaries did in the past, but I would say a more accurate view is that um, actuaries help companies manage risks and more importantly, turn risks into opportunities. So um, as you mentioned, we have to forecast into the future all the time. Um, you know, a, a basic example is putting a price tag on the insurance um plans that we we offer to the community to our employer groups and individuals and um, because of the regulatory requirements um, our premium rates have to be reviewed by the government agencies um, and approved before we could sell the the products so that requires the pricing to be done done far in advance before we actually understand what the actual cost will be so, um, and healthcare cost is a, a different animal compared to, you know, manufacturer and other industries uh, to estimate the, um, uh, because of there are many factors impacting the potential cost. So how do we start um, by tackling that problem? Uh, seems to be impossible to some, but um Typically, just like with any complex problems, we start by decomposing the, the task um, at hand. So we try to uh, break the overall um, cost projection into the major components that drive the cost. Uh, just you know, to, to put in a very simple way, um, for healthcare services, there is the frequency of how uh, often the services are needed or um, received by our members, and then the price per service or unit price of that service. And it's really the two major components. Of course, for each component, there are multiple factors that will impact that. So it's really a process where we, we, we first decompose that um, you know, big projection, the big box, we try to forecast uh, and then make them into more manageable components. And for each component, then we try to understand the driving forces behind it using the um, frequency as an example. So um, we try to understand, you know, differently in terms of how often um, do we expect our members to use inpatient services, how often for preventive care visits with the physicians, how often do they need prescription drugs uh, to estimate those frequencies. Um, that's where the, the analytical skills come in and also historical data as well as external um, 
reference data come in. So we gather a lot of information um, from our history, which is a really important source, um, and try to look at trend, consistent trend year over year, and um, then consider additional uh, input that will influence how we expect the trend to continue into the future um, to adjust the historical data with the um, you know prediction into the future based on uh, reference information. So again, give you an example uh, to make it more clear for drug cost project uh, drug utilization projections um, typically our utilization trend has been uh, very um, has a very strong correlation to historical data but we always uh, look at ways to improve the um, drug utilization management which means that we you know take into account of what's more effective drugs um, and also uh, what are the, the uh, type of care path that will get to better outcomes and also look at the medication review to make sure there's no um, really contradicting drugs that our members are taking. All those initiatives would impact the f future utilization of the drugs. And uh, those will be considered in projecting the, how often you know, um, prescription drugs will be utilized by our members into the future. Additional information we consider is also new technology and new um, drug treatments that are available in the market. So I know this could take all day. Uh, and I just want to give you a couple of practical examples to give you an idea on you know, the, uh, the process we take and the type of information we would consider to um, really solve the seemingly unsolvable problem. Yeah, there's a, there, there's like a couple like the prescription drug examples just so so at the forefront of my mind as we as we start to see you know transparency come through in the, in that space and and the changes that that may or may not happen um, the pricing and and especially with the with the COVID crisis and and some of the vaccines that are coming in the debate there you know I, I wanted I wanted to touch on so I started to think about this and and I'm going to go back to your analogy because I really like it so. You've got the CEO and the CFO and you all in the same car. Um, you know, you're, you've got your view. When they turn around and say, were we successful this year? How do you measure that? How we measure ultimately is um, we actually have uh, really uh, narrowed down a couple of key metrics to, to really uh, for the company to focus on. I. Bottom line is that it's our growth um, because I truly believe that if we're successful in what we do, a lot more members will want to be carrying a priority health card and um, use our services. 
So that to me is the ultimate measure of success. And in order to do that, there are many other things that you know. We also have the performance um, uh, metrics that for each functional area. So um, to me, how many members we cover is our um, ult- ultimate measure of success. Yeah, and after just you mentioned crossing the the million member mark, you know that that must be that's very forward looking, right? And all of a sudden you're, you're, you're facing a different way in the car and that's what you can point to and say, we're doing, we're doing a good job because people are buying our product. Exactly. Exactly. So thinking about all the work, all the work you do and we'll kind of break it down by market later. How does your work help the average customer? I would say many different ways, but most importantly is, um, making healthcare affordable, um, so with the traditional conventional thinking of what actuaries do is more just calculating, um, you know, playing with numbers and calculating the premium. But um, at Priority Health, at least, um, it's very different. Uh, the work my team does touches almost every single functional area. And the... Um, one of the um, key factors that make me enjoy my job here so much is we have a very strong data-driven decision-making culture. What that means is that a lot of the uh, key decisions are informed by data analytics. And one of the um, example I can give you in terms of how actuaries inf- uh, impact affordability is we regularly perform analysis to look at potential area for opportunity, uh, including you know, how we can close care gaps and um, make sure that you know, we have um, minimized the, the, the risk of fraud and abuse activities and also um, you know, identify opportunities to engage with our provider partners to um, share with them you know how they can optimize the user for their limited resources to tackle the more needy um, um, set of patients and um, try to identify we use a lot of predictive modeling to try to identify rising risk if one we can still impact uh, the outcome more effectively uh, rather than, you know, after a very significant um, unfavorable health event that member has suffered already. Um, th- so try to make the information and analysis more actionable and more impactful. So ultimately, through that type of work, we are able to um, improve the outcomes and the health um, status of our members and reduce the the need for unnecessary care and that all you know bubbles down to a boils down to lower premium in the future that they would pay for the same coverage a lot of what you're talking about reminds me of uh, I don't know if you've ever read his work his name is Philip Tetlock he, he wrote a really interesting book called super forecasting and talks about all the biases and things that go into 
you know, trying to trying to predict something in the future and how these people that are really good at it do it. And I would imagine you're going to have to be pretty excellent at uh, at that sort of stuff. And then setting aside your biases and things and making sure that you're presenting the data in a neutral way, right, that helps inform that data driven decision making. Yeah, you brought up a really good point. That is key um, to um, the function that I lead because our goal is to help replace impression with um, facts so that we can, I mean, a lot of times you, we, we all make decisions um, emotionally at times, but for business decisions, it's much uh, more important that we use as much facts as possible so that we don't let the emotion um, influence the decision too much. So um, one of the, the things that I really um, have been emphasizing is because we have to deal with uncertainties all the time when we project into the future, there are a lot of unknowns. Um, I even, you know, told our board that because we do estimation, one thing I know for sure that it's going to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We're not trying to be exact because um, that's, an, that's an impossible goal. However, our goal is to be very close. And um, that is not just is in the projections. Actually, um, it's more importantly that we come along. Uh, we, we also provide alongside the projection the, a set of key performance metrics that will help us achieve that projected results. And those performance metrics will be monitored regularly so that it gives us insights early enough to take actions to keep you know, if we're if if we're off track a little bit, we know with enough advance notice to develop action plans to push us back on track. So it's yeah, not stopping at the projection, but also um, you know, providing a set of targets or performance metrics so we can constantly monitor and adjust as needed. Yeah, I, I don't want to get us too far off track here, but I keep thinking about things like hindsight bias, right? Thinking about like trying to explain this is what I thought earlier. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what I thought earlier, and then how that would uh, how that would impact what your board thinks and and the decisions you make. But you know, I think we'd have to get like another academic on here to to really kind of push that conversation. So. Um, Maybe just one more on a, on a personal note. So when you're at home and, and you're not doing and enjoying complicated math, um, what do you do to wind down or what do you like to do in your free time? Well, I love cooking. Uh, it's probably one of the more creative activities that I do. And I, I don't usually cook with the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> So you want to, you want to get away from the structures of number numbers and data, right? You just want to put some spices into something and see if it sticks. Right, right. Just you know, a pinch of this, a pinch of that, and cook to taste. <laughs> there uh, that's go. also a great um, pastime for my family as well. I have uh, we have two girls, both love cooking. Fortunately, so we enjoy a lot of fun time together on um, making up new stuff, um, and. Definitely have, you know, our fair share of failure as well, but we'll, 
really become fun memories as well. Yeah, my wife's got a picture of me somewhere when we were doing a cooking class and somebody said, add more oil to the pan and it just lit up. And so I think that was kind of, that was kind of my high point in cooking. So, you know, the goal of our podcast here is to demystify healthcare. If you could demystify one healthcare misnomer or one misunderstanding, what would it be? I would say um, it's probably the perception that health insurance, health plans um, only cares about making money. They want to make as money as as much money as possible. That's always going to be, um, you know, viewed as a huge success. I even thought of that way <laughs> in the earlier days of my career. Um, and we hear it all the time, right? Um, so the the big bad health plan, um, you know, contributing to the, the making, you know, uh, the healthcare so unaffordable. Um, actually, it's more my experience at Priority Health that completely changed that perception, and I do want to share that um, today as well. At Priority. Um, who is also uh, a health plan, you know, as part of an integrated system with Spectrum Health System. We have a huge commitment to um, making health care coverage and care affordable. And it's not just saying it. Um, so in my early days at Priority Health, I definitely had a very strong focus on profit. And because um, that's how I was trained to do, right, to really managing the risk and try to maximize the, um, the, the return on investment. Um, so, but very quickly, I learned that that's just a, a necessity um, to a means to an end. Our end is how we can serve the communities better. And... Um, Yes, we do need to have the financial health to be able to serve more members and uh, serve them well. So there needs to be a certain level of profit that we have to um, you know, achieve. And Jeff, you're familiar, we're a heavily regulated industry, so there's the risk-based capital requirements around that. So there's a minimum level of um, margin that we have to achieve to be a viable um, um, company and stay healthy to serve our members. But that's what I was asked to stay close to. If we exceeded that minimum margin target, which was only 2% for priority health, if we exceeded that margin in our actual results, I almost felt like I got my hand slapped. Not very many businesses where they say, you did too well on this side, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. So yeah. what I was told would be, you overpriced. Mm-hmm. We could have taken out a lower premium to our members. Of course, initially, my reaction was like, wow, it's really hard to predict. And <laughs> This goes back to the bias and the forecasting that. thing, exactly. right? Um, it definitely makes my job much harder, but... It's really heartwarming for me to think about 
what it means to our community, right? So, um, you know, I've shared that story with many people, my my friends, um, my prior colleagues. It is very different from um, so my this- prior experience. So, yeah. We can probably dispel another misnomer here and make this, this might just be for me. So, so actuaries do have a heart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're not just financially driven, you know, you're, you're out there trying to deliver care and a service when you're a, when you're a healthcare actuary, right? Absolutely. But we take our responsibilities very seriously because, you know, that's why I said membership is the ultimate measure of success and to be able to have more members um, choose us, we have to make the um, insurance coverage affordable, right? So I think one, and this leads me to one of my questions, one of the areas that Priority Health has, has put a focus on is the individual market. And the individual market or the exchange or the marketplace, whatever the name is now, has, has it changed quite a bit when the Affordable Care Act was enacted. And one of the big elements was, you know, going from individual underwriting to a community rated market. Um, I didn't use any um, uh, acronyms there, so I'm pretty happy. So, but, you know, from from your perspective, and, and it sounds like you probably worked on this hands-on, you know, what benefit to the individual, to an individual enrollee did moving to a community-rated market do? Yeah, so... Um... The benefit is that a lot of the um, individuals that have pre-existing condition or um, chronic conditions most of the time now will be able to find um, their premium for insurance to be more affordable. And the community-rated market is basically... Um, saying that everyone will be treated the same with the exception of a few allowable uh, rating factors. We could still um, have a difference in premium by age and by um, location because we know there's a there there is difference in um, underlying healthcare needs and cost. Um, because of the regional um, demographics and also the the, the cost um, differences, and age is a very well known factor. But other than those feel, everyone would be treated the same uh, from the insurance premium perspective. So, it's it's actually closer to the fundamentals of insurance, which is risk pooling mechanism. Uh, So the disadvantage though is those healthier members that used to be able to get insurance coverage um, at a lower price would also be paying the, the higher price. It's almost like you, you know, previously, it's almost like you're get you can get a good driver credit for your car insurance, <laughs> and uh, that's that's removed. Everyone else will be charged the same insurance premium, regardless of your driving history for car insurance. So, um, as with any public policy, right, it mm-hmm. would impact 
the different cohorts, a segment of the population differently. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, I do believe that you know um, having the risk pooling um, be a major component of the insurance coverage is beneficial to the community. Mm-hmm. However, there needs to be enough uh, critical mass. Exactly. And also enough of incentive um, to encourage the, the younger and healthier members to buy into the pool. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Yeah, so we're, we're actually, we're, we're a short time from open enrollment here. So we should be we focusing those young and healthy people, you know, enroll on the exchange, right? Enroll, enroll, enroll and shop. Right. Yeah. So you, you touched on the risk pooling topic and, uh, you know, we're, we're, well, it's a topic that I think you and I know a lot about. Can you give like a, a 30 second overview of just basic like risk pooling 101 for, for our listeners? Yeah, it's basically um, saying that, you know, everyone would have some unpredictable event, right? And uh, some may have higher likelihood of having an adverse event happening because of the current health condition or even um, family history, the genetics. Um, But when you only, when you segment every population based on their own risk, inevitably um, the, the higher risk population will have to pay a lot more to cover for the healthcare needs they they expect to have. And what happens then would be some of them will not be able to afford it and forego the care that's needed and further um, deteriorate in their health. So the risk polling mechanism is to say we would have the higher cost and lower cost um, type of population segment all um, aggregated in one risk pool. So it, it really, it, it creates a, a much, it balances out those costs from all the different populations that might walk into a pool, right? If, yeah, basically everyone would get the average of that pool. And ultimately, you know, that should help make the insurance more affordable and, you know, support the, the ultimate goal of keeping member healthy. <laughs> so thinking about, so we were talking a lot about costs and conditions, you know, the, the prevalent condition at this moment is, is, is the COVID pandemic. Um, I understand you've been studying the COVID pandemic and its progression internationally. And as it's moved to America and, and into Michigan, um, can you talk about the challenges in studying a pandemic from a health insurance perspective? Uh, I think about it this way. The last time we had a a true pandemic in America was 1918 and insurance as we know it today didn't exist. So what are you looking at to help um, drive those, that data-driven decision-making when it's really hard to find the data, right? That's absolutely right. We actually started doing modeling before even the first case in Michigan was reported. So um, one good thing is that we deal with modeling um, risks with imperfect data all the time. So um, at least, you know, we're not scared from doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So 
when we have imperfect information, that's where we try to use a lot of different reference points. Uh, we started with countries like China or um, you know Korea and Japan and Europe, where uh, there was more data because the pandemic started earlier, but also uh, factor in the known differences in terms of how healthcare is delivered um, in those countries and also demographic differences. Then uh, try to translate that information um, used after those adjustments to help form the foundation of our modeling. But knowing that those are indirect data um, and we one thing we do is to do a lot of scenario analysis on the different uh, variation of key assumptions. So um, all those help us design a model where we also are monitoring on the key assumptions with emerging data from US um, and constantly uh, do the look back, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. to fine tune our model. So, um, you know, in the beginning, our range of possibilities from the scenario analysis may be pretty wide. And over time, that got narrower. However, sometimes even the wide range of outcomes uh, was would be adequate for certain decision making. So, for example, we were one of the we were the first uh, in the country to announce that we want to um, provide a premium credit back to our individual and small group members um, because of the modeling we did that we expect, um, you know the the um, significant reduction utilization will create excess um, margin basically which as you know we shouldn't keep <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we want to give back to our community to help them cope with the challenges they're facing we we the modeling helped inform a lot of decisions to help uh, remove the barrier to care Uh, Also, we did some predictive modeling to understand uh, which which area or which um, segment of our members would be at higher risk of um, contracting COVID and also higher risk of developing more severe symptoms and um, try to do the outreach to help them. So um, that's just a, you know, very high level because um, yeah. now now I'm back to your car analogy. So you're you're in the room with the CFO and the CEO, and you deliver this message. Did you tell them um, I have enough data and I have a good confidence interval, and you know we should do the credit and we should like that was your decision, and and were clearly they were receptive to it. But um, what like how did I mean? Give us a look inside here. How did that yeah. com- that car conversation go? That's a good question. Um, actually, it's act, it's a very collaborative planning process. I do feel that's also another key um, um, success factor uh, for us, that actuaries are not working in silos. We don't have the crystal balls. So what we do is that we, prov- we gather information from many experts um, you know, in the country across the system, um, and within our company, then 
once we put the analysis together with the possible outcomes, we take it back with the nest with the assumptions associated with it, and clearly articulate the caveats, and then have another discussion uh, with other uh, functional leaders to make a decision. So it would be a very interact uh, interactive process, um, and. For example, we included our chief medical officer to help us understand the potential treatment protocols and you know how how we would expect um, some of the you know early announced um, potential treatment may impact the uh, the forecasted results. We have our operations leaders. Um, you know, work with us to understand, you know, how quickly we can take out certain type of changes. So, and then our provider leaders working with our provider partners to understand what challenges they are facing that we can help them mitigate so they can serve our members better. All those happen in the car conversation before <laughs> we reach the destiny. Yeah. So, so a CEO, a CMO, a CFO, and an actuary walk into a room and a decision is made, huh? <laughs> so you're you're going to have to get the CMO in, into the next version of that joke. I think, I think it's great. I think it's a great scenario, but we got to work in, uh, we'll have to work in the good doctor. Yeah. Uh, so Jan, I do want to be mindful of your time here and we're kind of, um, so I, I wanted to move to, you know, one broad question of, you know, if we made you healthcare czar for the day and you could fix one thing, what would it be? Well, I have to say much better, quicker access to more comprehensive data. You probably won't expect anything <laughs> else from me. Um, it, the data is so um, segregated right now for healthcare. And I know from my experience that there's so much value in making the data connected um, and also more transparent, um, not just from pricing perspective. It's really from how we can better understand the healthcare need of our community, our members we serve, and how we can identify the needs sooner. And also how we can use data analytics to um, determine or personalize the, the way to engage with them more effectively. This is with our members as well as our other key stakeholders, uh, providers, our suppliers. Um, there's there's a lot of data out there. What was surprising to me was actually how much we know about a person without talking to them. If you think about all the you know Google data. You know, the data from, you know, data Apple collects, you know, Amazon collects the consumer type of information and connect that with the electric um, medical record information, the health plan claims data. It, it, it is, we have a lot of information out there. It's like sitting in a gold mine, right? Um, (laughs) Let's be scared, careful not to scare people about how much Google and Amazon really know about them, right? <laughs> we we well, might scare I fully, people. I fully appreciate the need to protect privacy. Mm-hmm. I feel like there there is going to be a happy medium. Um, 
So yeah. that because you always says healthcare is czar, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've had more than one debate with some of the other policy folks that you know about perhaps how overreaching HIPAA really is, but I think that's a that's a discussion for another day. Um, but I'd like to give you one opportunity here just to close out with your final thoughts or anything, and um, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap it up from there. Well, um, if I would have one um, main takeaway, uh, it is really healthcare is very complex. That health plans are working really hard, um, like Priority Health, working very hard to help our members and providers um, uh, better understand the the information that we have on hand and also help make it easier for them to be at their best, uh, for providers to be able to have good information to um, provide better care and um, more efficient care to our members and for our members to know um, how and when and where they could receive really great quality care and um, also how to take care of themselves. So health plan, um, health plans like Priority Health really put that as a very important goal um, that we have to serve the community. And I really look forward into the future days where um, there is a lot more uh, trust and uh, level of engagement from all the key stakeholders from the healthcare industry and demystifying healthcare is uh, a very important step to get there. Um, so I really appreciate you taking this effort and initiative to do this, Jeff. Well, well thank you for your time. And, and after this conversation, I think I've learned a lot about actuaries. So I think that's was beneficial for me. And I think we should also be able to note that you know, every priority health enrollee, every doctor, every partner in the ecosystem should be, you know, very, very pleased with your work there and, and should know that they've got a partner in you and that, you know, you're working, um, uh, you're working on data-driven, fact-driven decisions to deliver the best care to everybody. And, you know, thank you so much for your time today, Jan. Um, I, I wish you the best. And, you know, maybe if there's another time we can come back on and talk more about biases and, and all the other, uh, all the other jargon we missed today. But, um, you know, let's, we'll try to keep that to an acronym, a fewer acronym conversation, but this has been, I think, enlightening for everybody. So I thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Uh, if you have show ideas, feel free to visit our website, mahp.org and send them over. And, or if you have referrals or anything else, and you'd like to be on the, on, on the show, please send in, please send in an email. Thank you so much. Be healthy and be well. Thank you for listening to the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Would you like to be a guest on our show or do you have a show idea? Head to mhp.org to submit that over. We look forward to demystifying Michigan's healthcare industry.